Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Testament lesson today comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second passage is taken from the Gospel of Mark. All four Gospels give the account of what we call the triumphal entry, Jesus entering Jerusalem on the donkey. So we are reading from Mark 11, 1 through 11. And although this is fairly familiar to us, I would invite you to open your ears and listen for the fresh word of God. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on it, and he then sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in an attempt to continue to get to know one another, give you a little family history of my 
my family, both of my parents are from Louisiana. Uh, my mom is from a little town called Monroe, Louisiana, in the north uh, of Duck Dynasty fame, yes, but she did not know any of the family. And my dad's side, the Deeth side, uh, all in New Orleans. And so I grew up coming and going from New Orleans. It's where my grandparents were, aunts, uncles, cousins, um, the whole thing. When the Deeths came from Switzerland and came to the United States, they came to New Orleans and started there. We're not Cajuns, but we've been in New Orleans for several generations. So those of you, how many people have been to New Orleans? Most of you. Okay. Okay. We'll have to take a mission trip for those who haven't or just a trip trip. For those of you that have been, or those of you that haven't, you know that New Orleans is kind of a paradoxical city. It is dirty, it is nasty, it is crime-ridden, and yet it offers some of the most unique music and food and architecture that we find in any American city. It is a city that knows how to celebrate. It is a city that is based in Roman Catholicism. And it is a city that knows how to have fun. How do we know that? Mardi Gras. That's how we know that. So as I said, I grew up going back and forth to see grandparents and such. And when we got old enough, we started going to Mardi Gras. Now, when you hear that, usually you go quickly to the worst part of that, which is the drunken, debaucherous gathering of many college students and others who kind of stumbling around in the French Quarter, throwing catching beads, that kind of thing. And that is a part of it. And I will go ahead and confess that when I was in college, I used to take groups every year. We would go to Mardi Gras. I was not always going into the ministry. So, but there are other ways to experience Mardi Gras. For example, and the parades don't anymore go into the French Quarter because the streets are too small and the floats have become so large and elaborate that they don't, they can't fit in there anymore. So they'll go, uh, they'll, they'll skirt the French Quarter on Canal Street and they'll have another a route that takes it around uptown and such. So when, when I was younger, they would, you would know when the next parade was coming and everybody, the French Quarter would empty. It would go out into the Canal Street, you'd do the parade and then everybody would go back into the French Quarter. But if you go during the day or you go even to some of the night parades that are a little farther out distanced from Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras Day, the day before um, uh, Ash Wednesday, you'll find that the parades are a little more family-friendly. If you go during the day, you'll see that it's a whole different culture and environment. Whole families are there. People are tailgating, bring their coolers. Kids and adults are dressed up almost like a Halloween feel to it. One of the things I look for is the ladders that they bring. If you've been there, you'll, you can look down and outside of the city, outside of the French Quarter, but in the city, you'll see the parade route sometimes lined with wooden folding ladders. It's a tradition there. Each family decorates their own, and sometimes from generation to generation, they pass down their Mardi Gras ladder. And on that part that kind of swivels down, sturdies, 
the ladder, but you also put your paint on it or your tools. They'll put a seat on there, and then they use their children as bead bait. That's right, bead bait. All right, they put the kids there, and if those on the parade will look for the kids and throw it to them first. But it's a really neat tradition to see just all of it lined with kids and families and people having a good time. So again, there are different ways from what we automatically go to. And my parents as of late have lived on the North Shore uh, across Lake Pontchartrain in the Mandeville Covington area. And so they too had their own set of parades and Mardi Gras is a whole month. It starts right after Epiphany, early January, January 6th. And from that point, the parades start weekend to weekend until they get to Fat Tuesday, then intensifies, more of them closer, uh, more intense and more fun until really the weekend before the Fat Tuesday is the biggest because people have the weekend off and that's when many people go downtown. So across the lake on the North Shore, we have our own, again, more family friendly, lots of kids in the parades and things like that. So my dad and I, for a few years, rode in the North Shore parade called Orpheus, uh, which means music. Um, Harry Connick has his Orpheus, which is the big fancy one downtown. This was not that. This was across the lake. My sister, I have a sister who's three years older. She and my mom rode in a parade called Eve. They were, these were um, uh, male and female crews. And so we experienced just a little bit of what that feels like, this parade mentality. And that's no joke there. These are social clubs, these crews, they call them. You pay to join. And while you do stuff throughout the year, you're really there to do Mardi Gras. Sometimes they have fancy balls and black ties, tuxedos. Uh, but really, the event is the parade. So you dress up, you pay for the costume, you pay for all the throws, that's all the beads and the, the stuffed animals and whatever things you are throwing, you pay for that yourself. It is not inexpensive, which again is why we are on the North Shore. So in riding several years, <clears throat> the last one, I had just started into educational track for ministry. And so I'm thinking... You know, how do we get these kind of people to be this excited about faith, about Christ, as they are these nasty little beads, these made-in-China beads that smell, they're dirty, but in the moment, you'll do anything for them. My mother, blessed sweet saint, not aggressive in any fashion, until you put her in front of a parade. And then you look out, you step back. Be it child, older, adult, elbows are flying and mom's gonna get her beads no matter what. And sure, it's fun. We want to catch that. It's right from the people who threw it to us. See how many you can get in that time. We have bags in my garage of nasty, old, stinky, dirty beads. And then when you're done, you kind of look, and half of them are broken. The color's already flaking off. You think, what, what did I want these for, and what do I do with these? It's just fun. And so the parade today has some similarities to those parades and some differences. So let's look at Mark's account. 
So we know this is the end of Jesus' life and ministry. He knows it. Not sure everybody else knows it. Although he said in chapters 8, 9, and 10 in Mark that he must be betrayed, suffer, die, and raise again. But they don't quite get it. They don't really put two and two together really until Pentecost. Even after they see Jesus raised after the resurrection, they're still in a state of disbelief and trying to put it all together. At Pentecost is when they understand and then they go out to tell others because they have seen something they cannot deny that others must know, the good news of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knows. And it's interesting to see that in this passage, the majority of the verses are on Jesus' planning and preparation. Only the last couple of verses talk about the actual entrance. More of it is the preparation that Jesus makes, which tells us that this is exactly the way Jesus wanted it, that Jesus planned it and prepared it to go exactly this way. So he tells the disciples to go, go get the colt, go get the donkey. And our quick understanding of donkeys in that time is that they would have been used for general transportation. It would not have been uncommon to see people riding donkeys. It would not have been silly or foolish for Jesus to have ridden a donkey as the Messiah possibly, but not in general. And so as they saw it, I'm not sure what they would have been thinking. Clearly, Jesus also had orchestrated the crowd. How did they know he was coming? Somebody would have had to have told them. Maybe sent out the disciples to say, gather, gather the crew, I'm coming in. Why would Jesus, who is humble, why is Jesus, who is not seeking affirmation, put this kind of parade for himself together. What is that about? Well, I don't think it's about shouts of praise for Jesus really at all from Jesus's perspective. Their understanding of Jesus was that he claimed to be the Messiah. And they were there to see the Messiah. But, of course, again, as we've talked about before, their understanding was a powerful military Messiah that would come on a stallion leading troops with armor and shields and swords and chariots, showing the whole force coming in. And here's Jesus and his 12, maybe some others, 12 are walking. Jesus is on a donkey. But yet they've got the parade route set up. They're cutting the branches which is uh, an Old Testament tradition for welcoming kings. They're putting their cloaks, again, royal significance to that. And yet it is Jesus who comes forward on a donkey. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm coming, you better get ready, and things are going to change. All the way through the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus does significant things and there are significant understandings, he tells people not to tell anybody. Mark's messianic secret 
is kept all the way through until here. It's kind of Jesus's coming party, coming out of letting everybody else know that, yes, he is the Messiah, and amazing things are getting ready to happen. So why is the crowd there? Well, what have they seen from Jesus before? Miracles, teachings, healings. That's the fun stuff, right? Maybe they saw or heard that Jesus had turned water into wine. Maybe they heard or saw Jesus walking on the water. Maybe they were there when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the many more who were not counted, so maybe closer to eight or 9,000. Maybe they were there to see Jesus heal different people and to do these miracles that made them believe that Jesus was something different. Why else would they be there? They want to see more of the show. So they're gathered to say, yes, Jesus, yay, save us, Hosanna. A compound Hebrew word, yasha, meaning save or deliver. And then ana, which is beg or beseech. We beseech you, save us, save us. Again, not uncommon to welcome kings, but to welcome Jesus and his peasant followers on a donkey, a little different. So Jesus comes forward. What must his face have looked like? I don't see him saying, yes, yes, it is I. I see him rather as the only one who really knows what's going on. Maybe a stern face, maybe a crooked smile, because he knows these folks are going to turn on him. He knows what his fate is. He is human like us. He would have been scared. He would have felt lonely. And yet shouts of Hosanna, blessed is the name of the one who comes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From Psalm 118, as we open our worship services, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Right before that is this passage in Psalm 118. Blessed Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what I believe is that Jesus knows that these folks are going to turn on him. Why do they turn on him? Because the show is over. After Jesus comes in, there are no more miracles in the same way that Jesus did miracles before he came to Jerusalem for Passion Week. The resurrection is a miracle, and there are other miracles, healing of the ear at the garden and some other things, but they were not for the same purpose nor designed for the crowd. He is done. And now there is a request through his teaching, the next couple of days, his teachings become difficult. A fig tree that bears no fruit is cursed, should wither and die. We are those trees when we are not faithful and when we do not follow and when we do not bear fruit. That means when we are not participating in the ministry and following Christ. 
other parables about following in the cost of following. People start to turn on Jesus because, number one, he wasn't the Messiah that was going to come into town, kick out the Romans, and take Jerusalem back, which is what they thought. That's what they had been led to believe. But they also start to struggle because Jesus no more says, I'm going to show you, I need you to make a commitment. It is a pivot. And many do not want to follow what Jesus is calling them into. And so they turn on him and we know the results of that. So we are being called in the same way I believe to make that decision from being somebody standing on the parade route, a bystander, a spectator, versus somebody who is being called into the procession to follow Christ directly. We all come to Christ in a kind of superfluous entry level way. We all come to Christ in a way that is a little more shallow because we got to start somewhere, right? But the hope is that we develop a more mature and deeper spiritual faith as our lives continue, as our understanding of Scripture, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the world, ourselves grows. And Jesus is saying, I'm not throwing the beads anymore. I need you to come follow me to the cross. Woohoo! He wants to go with Jesus to the cross. Nobody. And I don't know that we're any different now. Our temptation is to go from today, generally a positive experience, even though we know there's some other dynamics, to Easter, Sunday to Sunday. If we do that, we completely miss what we're being called to do and be. We must walk with Christ to the cross. Again, whether you follow us here, whether you participate in other services, or whether you sit down with your Bible at home, walk every day with Christ to the cross. We cannot fully celebrate that Christ is risen on Easter without walking with him to the cross. Well, I don't want that kind of sacrifice, preacher. I appreciate it. Think about your life. Think about if someone were to say to you right now, what are the most important things in your life, the most important events, the most important people? My guess is it would be parents, children, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, family, friends that have been with you a long time. And what is it that makes those relationships special? Well, family, you don't have a choice. You're with them. You grow up with them. You got to stay with them. You find a way to survive for the most part. Families aren't always safe or come out on the good side of things. Friends you're with a long time because you've spent time together. You've worked things out. And guys, sometimes this is harder for us, so I'll give you an indicator of how you know your friends are close to you in the male world. If you ask them to help you move from one place to another and they say yes, that means you're technically going steady as friends. What, what's the common denominator? Sacrifice. 
You sacrifice for your children. Your parents sacrifice for you. Friendships sacrifice for one another. Those great accomplishments in your life, vocational, educational, other great things that you have done, you have sacrificed to make those things happen. The greatest things in your life have come through sacrifice, different levels, different times, whether you have wanted that or not. Faith is no different. Christ is no different. Christ isn't just saying, give me a little time. Christ is saying, you make me the sacrifice and I will change your world. Come to me. So easy for us to watch as a bystander as faith and life go by. Then we get to the end of our lives and we think, what, what have we really done in faith? Not really about church. It is about who we are as God's children in the world. And I don't want us to miss it as individuals, as families, as a faith community. Yes, the afterworld is where we're heading, the afterlife. So much of Christ is about that, but so much is about right now. We're being called to decide right now. Things can change. Things may become harder. That's what Jesus told all of his disciples. Don't think following me is any kind of joy ride. There is joy, but not necessarily happy all the time. We know better than that. As a matter of fact, it should be harder because we follow Christ. We are being asked to make a decision. There's a young man whose name is Gene Donaldson, and he was a star high school football recruit. And he had several schools that were calling on him, trying to recruit him to go. And the coach of Kentucky, the only one of that crew trying to recruit him, figured out that he was a Roman Catholic. So he sent his assistant and says, you go and you dress like a priest. You wear a black shirt, you wear a black suit, you wear a collar, and you put a cross around your neck. And when you get there, you tell this kid that the Pope wants him to come to Kentucky. <laughs> that coach, anybody? Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant. And don't you know it? Gene went to Kentucky. Became one of his first All-Americans in football there. The kid made a choice. And you're being asked to make a choice today. To commit or recommit yourself in a way that moves us from superficial. And superficial is a place to start. Don't feel bad if that's where you are. That's where we all start. But to get to the next level so that we will know the fullness and the depth of the joy and grace and love of Christ. So often we ask, where is God in my life? I don't feel the presence of God. Christ, Holy Spirit are not with me. Are you looking? Are we listening? What are we doing to try to make space for God? And that's often where we find the difficulty. So today is a day that we celebrate. Today is a day that we lift Christ up for his final journey but he knows where he is going, and that is to the cross. And we are called to sacrifice. We are called to walk with him and experience the pain of the cross that we may fully 
participate, celebrate, and allow ourselves to be raised on Easter Sunday. So let us take this seriously. Let us look at our lives and see how we can start to find that place of depth. If you don't know, come and talk to us. It's why we're here. God doesn't expect us to do this on our own. It's why we have a faith community. So let's go together. And the time and the question is, will we remain bystanders in faith or will we join the party? And Christ is saying, come, follow me. It will not be easy, but you will be amazed at this life that I have given you. So let us walk together in this procession with Christ to the cross and then to the empty grave. Hallelujah. Amen.